Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention, and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Some cases and serial killers need no introduction. On November 24th, 1946, the infamous Theodore Bundy was born. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Ted Bundy was born on November 24, 1946, in a home for unwed mothers in Burlington, Vermont. He spent a good portion of his adolescence believing that his grandparents were his parents and that his mother was his sister, a lie the family told to hide the shame of Ted's father's identity being a mystery. And, though Ted spoke warmly about his grandparents, others have described his grandfather as a tyrannical bully who instilled fear his timid grandmother, who periodically underwent electroconvulsive therapy for depression. From an early age, Ted exhibited disturbing behavior. On one occasion, Ted's aunt woke from a nap to find herself surrounded by knives, with her three-year-old nephew standing next to her, smiling. Over the years, accounts of Ted's childhood and adolescence have changed depending on what biographer he was speaking to. However, we do know that, for the most part, he was well-known and well-liked. In 1965, he graduated from high school and spent a year at the University of Puget Sound before transferring to the University of Washington. It was here that he met and began dating a classmate referred to as Stephanie Brooks. 
The two dated for about a year before she ended the relationship and returned to California. Something about this relationship and the subsequent rejection he felt following the breakup triggered something inside of Ted that would leave him searching for her face in all of his victims. In 1969, he met a woman named Elizabeth Clofer and became more focused on his studies as a psychology major. Around the mid-1970s, he began working at a Seattle suicide hotline crisis center alongside a budding crime writer who would later be responsible for writing one of the leading biographies on Ted Bundy and many other serious crimes, Anne Rule. In 1973, despite poor test scores, Ted was accepted into the law school at the University of Utah based almost solely on strong letters of recommendation. The study in law would later play a major part in his trial, and the letters of recommendation go to show how well-liked this man truly was. During a business trip to California, despite still being in a relationship with Elizabeth, he rekindled things with Stephanie Brooks, only to break things off abruptly after the relationship got serious. He later went on to explain that he came back in her life simply to prove that he could marry her and that he deliberately planned the affair as a sort of vengeance for their breakup in 1968. Then, in 1974, Ted began skipping classes and making strange night trips to the library around the same time that women began to disappear in the Pacific Northwest. There is no consensus on who, when, or where Ted began his serial killing. He has spun different stories over the years, and it is difficult to nail down the truth. Some believe that his first murder was in 1961, years before, when evidence suggests that he abducted 8-year-old Anne-Marie Burr when he was just 14. But that evidence is all circumstantial, and he has denied the allegations. His earliest documented homicide happened when he was 27 with the disappearance of Linda Ann Healy, then Donna Gail Manson, Susan Rancourt, Roberta Parks, Brenda Carol Ball, and George Ann Hawkins, who all went missing between February and June of 1974. Witnesses stated that they had been approached by a man wearing an arm sling asking for help to load his books into his tan Volkswagen Beetle. This ploy would become something he often used to lure women into isolation. All of these women were young, attractive, white, and had long hair parted down the middle, an attribute shared by Ted's past girlfriends. There was little to no physical evidence, no bodies, and DNA profiling was something that didn't exist at this time. Investigators were at a loss, though they did seem to have a good physical description of the man and what he was driving. All the while, Ted was still working as the assistant director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission, even writing pamphlets for women on rape prevention, as well as the Department of Emergency Services, which helped aid in the search for the missing women. This is where he met a woman named Carol Ann Boone, who would later play an important role in his life. Then came the abduction in broad daylight of two women on July 14th. Five female witnesses described an attractive man who approached them with an arm sling asking for help to unload his tan Volkswagen. He even introduced himself as Ted. This lie helped him to abduct Janice Ott and, about four hours later, Denise Mary Nosland. 
police were able to create a fairly accurate sketch and accompany it with a name. When it was released, Elizabeth Clofer, Anne Rule, a DES employee, a psychology professor, all recognized Ted in the sketches. They called, though they had a hard time believing it, and the police put his name at the bottom of the pile. No one could believe that this clean-cut law student was committing these crimes completely undetected. Then, on September 6th, the thing everyone was dreading happened. The skeletal remains of Ott, Hawkins, and Nosland were found near Sammamish State Park. Just six months later, a forestry student from Green River Community College found the skulls and mandibles of Healy, Rancourt, Parks, and Ball. Then, his acceptance into the University of Utah Law School moved his hunting ground to Salt Lake City. Here, he murdered an unidentified hitchhiker in Idaho, Nancy Wilcox, Melissa Smith, Laura Ann Aim, Deborah Kent, Karen Campbell, Julie Cunningham, Denise Oliverson, Melanie Cooley, Lynette Culver, and Susan Curtis. All of these women were killed with various methods such as strangulation and bludgeoning. The women were often raped before and after death, and some were decapitated before disposal. He also unsuccessfully tried to abduct 18-year-old Carol Durant, posing as a police officer. She was able to escape and go to the police. It was around this time that Elizabeth called the police a second time, explaining that it was no coincidence that Ted moved to Salt Lake City, and now women seemed to be disappearing from there as well. Though she remained with him and never told Ted she was the one who called the police. He was, by this time, pretty high on their suspect list. On August 16, 1975, Ted was arrested after cruising in a residential area and a subsequent high-speed chase caused police to search his car where they found a ski mask, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, rope, and an ice pick, amongst other items. When his car was impounded, they found hairs matching samples from Karen Campbell, and a lineup identified him as the man who attempted to abduct Carol Durant. He stood trial in February of 1976 for the kidnapping and was found guilty. He was then transported to Aspen to stand trial for the murder of Karen Campbell. While serving as his own attorney, Ted Bundy was able to escape capture by jumping out of a second-story window. He was recaptured six days later. He escaped again on December 30, 1977, and, while free, headed towards Tallahassee, Florida, where he would enter the Chi Omega House on Florida State University's campus on January 15, 1978, and kill Margaret Bowman, Lisa Levy, whom he famously left a deep bite mark on her bottom, Kathy Kleiner, and Karen Chandler. The four attacks took less than 15 minutes and left the campus frozen in fear. Before leaving, he broke into the basement apartment of FSU student Cheryl Thomas and brutally attacked her. She survived, and on her bed, he left a semen stain. On February 9th, 12-year-old Kimberly Diane Leach became his next and final victim in Lake City. Her body was found seven weeks later. In total, Ted Bundy is believed to have committed a total of 30 murders. He was recaptured that same month, and the highly publicized trial began. 
It was covered by 250 reporters from five continents and was the first trial to be nationally televised in the United States history. Ted, again acting in his own defense, and made an absolute sideshow of this trial, even taking advantage of an obscure Florida law and marrying Carol Boone while she sat on the stand. The famous bite mark was matched and became the final nail in his coffin. And on February 10, 1980, Ted Bundy was sentenced to death by electrocution. In October of 1981, Carol Boone gave birth to Ted's daughter. In 1984, Ted contacted Robert Keppel and offered his expertise as a serial killer to help identify the Green River Killer. And, all the while, he was granting interviews and giving sound bites. Finally, after all his appeals were exhausted, Ted Bundy agreed to speak frankly about his crimes. And finally, on January 24, 1989, at just 42 years old, Ted Bundy was executed in the electric chair while off-duty police sang, danced, and set off fireworks across the street to celebrate the death of a monster. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 25th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy-to-listen-to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.